few years ago, I woke up one morning, and uh, you guys have probably had a day like this. I'm, I'm guessing you've probably experienced something like this, where I had a day, and I had a full schedule. I was just really going to be busy that day, and, and you know, our, my, my wife and I, we'd been working on our budget, and I'd taken a look at, at the funds that we have, and just kind of trying to save for this and for that. We've got a daughter that's about to go to college. We've got guys who are about to be 16 and need cars and sports and all those things, and so I'm looking at my time for the day, and I'm looking for, I'm looking at our budget, and I'm thinking, wow, things are just really tight. We're busy, and things are really, really tight, but I woke up on this morning, and I did the same thing that I always do, and you've probably experienced something like this. I, I swung my feet out of bed, and I set my feet down on the carpet, and you know what it feels like when you set your feet on the carpet. That's kind of a nice feeling on a nice, cold, chilly morning. You know, you set your feet down on the carpet, but this time it was a little bit different. Something was, um, it was not the same. When I set my feet into the carpet, there was this squishing sound. And just the squishing sound. And I'm like, I think all our kids are potty trained. And we don't have a dog. And it felt like I was stepping onto the, just right at that spot at the edge of the beach where the water hits the sand and you stick your feet in the sand and your toes kind of squish down. And it felt just like that. And I'm like, what is this that I'm stepping in? And then I get up and I realize that... Most of the carpet on that side of the room is just like that. And I'm, now I'm getting a little concerned and a little frustrated. And I go out into the garage and I realize that our water, our water heater, the water tank, is just exploded, essentially. And it happens to be right there next to our bedroom. And it just was a mess. It was nice. Have you all experienced that? Just the, the joy of waking up on a morning like that. And woo it's Monday. One-seventh, by the way, if, just, if you just do the math, one-seventh of your life will be spent on a Monday, so you should make the most of it. It's kind of the way I think, that, think about that. But, uh, um, so here I am, I've got a busy schedule, and I've got, my, my budget is full, right? But suddenly, my water heater's gone out. And it's crazy how quickly my schedule changed in that moment. I was able to make some phone calls, and all the meetings I had planned kind of got put by the wayside. And it's amazing how this emergency or what felt like an emergency suddenly changed the way we intended to spend what we had to spend. We had to make some adjustments to some plans we had over the summer and some other things that we were going to do. But it's amazing how quickly my plans changed when I realized that this emergency had, had happened. All of a sudden, the priority of my day shifted and suddenly time opened up and suddenly it's not really that money showed up, it's that money got rearranged, right? Money got rearranged to take care of that need or to take care of that problem. And you've probably experienced that before. I mean, we live in Oklahoma. We're the state that has earthquakes and tornadoes, hot flashes and cold flashes all in the same afternoon, right? It all happens at the same time and you've been affected by something like that in your past, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced that. And you know what I learned out of that moment? What I learned out of that day is that every time I look at my schedule and I think, man, I'm just so busy, I have a time problem. If I just had more time, my life would be better. I learned that when a different priority shows up, that my suddenly my time gets rearranged and gets adjusted to the emergency, right? And then I looked at my budget and I realized as tight as my budget is, as tight as things are, Oh man, if I just take this moment to readjust things, if I shift my priorities, then all of a sudden the funds are there to kind of do what's necessary. Sometimes not always what I want to do, but what I, what I have to do. And what I realize is I don't really have a time problem or a budget problem as much as I often experience a priority problem. Have you ever, have you ever recognized that? Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't have a time problem. 
Yeah, you can, you can interact. They say, you, you, uh, you don't have a time problem. And then say, uh, you probably don't have a money problem. <laughs> you might. You might have a money problem. But you, you could say that. But here's the reality. The reality is, whether we feel like we have all the time in the world or none, whether we feel like we've got all the money in the world or none, the reality is we've got to get good at managing our priorities because when we manage our priorities properly, all of a sudden everything about our time and about our finances, those two things seem to fall into place when we understand the priority of what, what we're facing in life. And so in this walk that we're going on together, this idea that we want to walk in a way that, that our knee-jerk reactions bring glory to God, and that our next breath is a breath of obedience, and our next step is a step of surrender. In those moments, if we want to be those kinds of people, then we've got to be able to get our priorities right. We've got to be able to understand what our priorities are. And to some degree, if you're walking, you're moving somewhere, right? So you've got to know where you are in order to get where you're going. If you don't know where you are, there's no way you're going to get to the right spot. You're not going to get to the right place because you don't have any idea where you are. You're lost. And so what we're going to see in Scripture today, take your Bible out if you would and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we'll be in Scripture today. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a letter that Paul wrote to one of his disciples. Timothy was a young man in ministry that Paul had led and had influenced and had taught. And he's trying to give Timothy some instructions. This is how you become a great pastor. This is how you lead people well. This is how you influence people in their walk with Christ to follow Christ closely. And so Paul is trying to instruct Timothy in these things. Timothy's the pastor at a church in a, in a city called Ephesus. There's another book of the Bible that we're going to look at later in the service. Uh, it's called Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church, specifically to the church at Ephesus. But today we're going to focus on 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to see today four questions that can help you evaluate where you are in your walk. And as you evaluate where you are in your walk, what it's going to really reveal is how your priorities work. It's going to reveal why your time seems so full of things that are unproductive or why it never seems like you've got enough money to, to get to the end of the month. It's going to reveal both of those things because our problem is less about time and less about money and more about how we manage our priorities and more about how we take our next step one step at a time as we are on this journey of faith. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And one of the things we like to do here is we like to honor the fact that this is God's word by standing when we read it. So let me invite you to stand. And then after I read this with you, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. And typically the congregation responds, praise be to God. And we do all of that just as a reminder that this is God's word and not my opinion or the opinion of anyone else. Let's read that together. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll be. And if you didn't happen to bring a device with you that you could look at the Bible on or your own copy of God's word, you'll be able to see it right here on this screen. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 11 says this, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in, the te in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks so much. You can be seated. So what we're going to see today are four questions, four what I think are really helpful questions to help us evaluate where we are in this walk and where we need to go next in order to be faithful to who God is and and what it is that he's called us as believers to do. Now, here's something that I I want to point out to us. I know there are some, some people who are here today who maybe you're still exploring what it means to be a person of faith and maybe you're not exactly comfortable with religion or you're not comfortable with church or maybe you're not certain about who Jesus is or his relationship to you and, and I'm really glad that you're here because this is a great place to get your questions answered. If you're going to look for questions to, or answers to questions like that, there are people all around you who would love to be able to visit with you about it and in today's message and what we're talking about today, what you're going to see is a glimpse of the way we as believers, those people who are followers of Christ, you're going to see a picture of really how we should think and how we should try to order and structure our lives. Now, I'm going to confess to you that I don't always get this right, and I can guarantee that if you look around you as someone who doesn't trust in who Jesus is and maybe is kind of skeptical about what church is all about, I guarantee you if you look, you're going to find people who do the exact opposite of everything that I'm talking about, but yet they still claim that they still claim faith in Christ. Uh, Yes, that makes us all hypocrites. (laughs) Yes, it absolutely does mean we try real hard sometimes and we fail. But actually, one of the things that's beautiful about Christianity is the truth that it's the premise is we're not here because we're good enough. We're here because we know we're broken by our sin. We're here because we know that Jesus has forgiven our our sin. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That's why we can be forgiven. And we know that by his grace, we can be set free so that we can do better. So that we can ask questions like these and when we, when we find honest answers that move us in a direction that honors God, we actually can move that direction, not because we're so good or because we're so talented, but because of what God has done in us and through us and to some degree, and at least in my case, sometimes even in spite of me, God has done these things to place his grace and his mercy in my life. And so I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad you're paying attention to this as someone who may be skeptical. But at the same time, I want to talk to people who are believers in Christ, to those of you who say you are followers of Christ. This is one of those passages, and these are four questions that that I think are non-negotiable for you to answer. This walk that we talk about going on, those steps that we've taken, those six steps and now this seventh step that we're going to add today, for those of us who claim faith in Christ Jesus, these steps are non-negotiable. They are the evidence that Jesus Christ lives in us. They're not the things that we do in order to be saved or to earn his favor or to become, you know, to become so holy that God can't help but notice us. That's not what these steps are all about. These steps are actually the result of our salvation. They're the result of the grace of God at work in us, moving us to become something that we aren't naturally on our own, but by the grace of God, he's changing us and shaping us and making us into 
really what he intended for us to be in the first place. And so as we think about these questions and specifically the answers to these questions today, if you're a believer, I hope you'll consider seriously the, the answers that you come to because how you answer influences your next step of faith. So in that, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, the very first thing that it says, it says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Well now, is it, not, is it not being clear on what these things are? Well, if you read in verses 10 and 9 and 8, the verses that are following that, it's actually talking about a variety of temptations. Uh, one of the temptations that it really addresses specifically, we're not really going to talk about today, but it's, it is the verse that people often quote in regards to money. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, we're really not going to talk about that verse today. And I, but, but I do want to point out that it's not money that's the problem. It's our attitude towards money that becomes the problem. It's the control that money has over our lives that becomes the problem. It's when we are pursuing money to the, to the detriment of people around us. It's when we believe that everything that comes to me is for me and we don't recognize that just because something comes to me doesn't necessarily mean that it's for me. Sometimes God entrusts me with something that he intends for me to give to someone else. And when my priorities are right, when my priorities are right, I'll spend my time and I'll spend my money the way that, that it can best be used for an eternal investment, not just in my life, but in the lives of my kids, and in the lives of my wife, and my family, and the lives of my friends, and the lives of my community, and my church, and, and all of these different things. And so we're really not going to focus on that verse today, but we do need to understand what things is it that he's asking us to flee. Well, there's this list of things that, that are temptations that he's saying, flee these things. So here's the first question that I think is really important for us to consider as we evaluate where we are in our walk with Christ. Here's the question, what do you run from? As a believer in Christ, what do you run from? Paul was so serious about this in this letter that he wrote to Timothy as he's trying to encourage Timothy. He actually wrote two different letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.2, he reiterates exactly what he just said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 2 Timothy uh, 2.22, Paul says to Timothy, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to flee youthful passions. I want you to flee from youthful passions. What do you run from today? Now, all of you have probably experienced the temper tantrum of a two-year-old, right? You've seen the way. So when it says, flee youthful passions, in other translations it says, flee youthful lusts, you might often think that this is all about lust, or it's all about being a teenager, or it's all about being a college student, or something like that. And that's actually, that's absolutely one application of that. But, but, but one of the applications that I think of is, is the appetite of a two-year-old. The younger you are, it seems like the more you demand your own way and you just got to have it. You want what you want when you want it and you want what you want right now. You've seen those temper tantrums that, that kids pull at times, right? And I think that's just an example of the youthful passions and our approach to it. You and I, we have this appetite for sin. We don't just sin because we're broken. We don't just sin because of a sin nature that's in us. That's absolutely a part of it. We have this propensity. We, have this, we lean towards doing the wrong thing first, or more specifically doing the selfish thing first, or more specifically feeding our appetites first. We lean towards filling ourselves first before we ever lean towards doing something selfless or something helpful or something that's others-centered rather than something self-centered. We lean towards that because those are appetites in us. But it's not just because of the appetite that's in it. It's because we like it. 
We like it. We like to, we want what we want when we want it. We want what we want right now. And like I said, you've all seen the temper tantrum of a two-year-old, right? Maturity is that moment when you realize that just because I want something doesn't mean I need something. Just because I like it doesn't mean I have to have it right now. I can remember, you know, school. Well, it's about to start. I hate to tell you all that. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Everybody, you realize that. School's about to start. I'm sorry. Let's have a moment of silence for all the teachers and students out there that are dreading school's about to start. And all of the... uh, all of the school supplies lists are going out, and um, I'm going to date myself when I say this, but I can remember being, I think I was in kindergarten or first grade. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but my mom and I were at TGNY. Anybody remember TGNY? Yeah. We were at TGNY. Now, you have to understand, my mom is exceptionally sweet. She's, she's a loving mom. I love her. She's done a great job. I'm actually a mama's boy, uh, very much so, and uh, and so here we are at TGNY, and she works hard to get her boys, uh, I've got a brother, everything they ever wanted, she's just bent over backwards to, to provide for us. But on this particular day, here we are at TGNY doing our school supply shopping, and we'd gotten all the folders we need, and you know, the compass and the pra- protractor that you never use, but it's always on the list for some reason, I don't know why. But we'd get that, and we'd get all the paper and the Kleenex and all those different things. But we had all these folders, and we get this one, there's this one folder, and it's, it's more expensive than all the other folders, and, and I want it. And I'm in, like, kindergarten or first grade. I want it. I just want this folder, and it's, the reason I want it is because it's got a Star Wars picture on the front of it. I mean, who wouldn't want a folder with a Star Wars picture on the front of it? Everybody wants that. Everybody, all the cool kids, Mom, are going to have this folder. And so she says no, which she didn't really say that very often to me, but she says no. And I didn't like that very much. I was mad. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to stand here in front of this folder until I get what I want. So I just stood there. And she walked around to another aisle and continued her shopping. So she was gone a while. And so I sat down. I just sat down on the floor. TGNY, looking at that folder. This is the best folder ever. It's got Luke Skywalker right there on the front. I was so excited. And my mom comes back. She says, no, you're not getting that folder. But I want what I want when I want it. I want what I want right now, right? And so I just sat there. And so she finally walks up. She was not unkind. She was not yelling. She was not screaming. She was not mean. She just did like a mom does and reached down and grabbed my arm. She wasn't, she wasn't violent in any way. She just grabbed my arm. And I happened to notice that there were several other people on the aisle at the same time. So as soon as she grabbed my arm, I went, Mama, please don't beat me. Please, Mom, please don't beat me. I just made a huge scene because I wanted what I wanted. And I mean, the whole aisle, you know, they just kind of looked at us. And my mom grabbed the folder and she looked at it and she goes, mmm, and she walks off. I still don't know where that folder is. I don't think she bought it, but she didn't give it to me. I think she gave it to some other kid. And then she came back and got me, and everything was fine. And I'm glad that it wasn't today, because I probably would have been taken by DHS just because of the ruckus that I caused. But, but that's just an example of what happens inside our hearts so frequently when it comes to the appetite that we have for sin, isn't it? At some point, the thing that we want to buy or that person that we want to spend time with or that thing that we want to do or the way we want to manage our schedule, instead of fleeing from these youthful passions, instead of fleeing from these youthful lusts, instead of running from that thing that's going to hurt us that we just don't need, that's just not nearly as cool as we think it is, instead of fleeing from that, we throw ourselves on the ground and we make accusations about who God is that just aren't true. We do that, right? We have that problem. You see, if you're going to evaluate where you are in your walk with Christ, you ought to ask yourself the question, 
What do I run from? Do I run from temptation or do I run to temptation? There's a question that students ask me sometimes that drives me a little bit crazy and adults ask me similar questions. On a date, how far is too far? And sometimes they'll, sometimes it's not students, sometimes adults will ask me, well, how much, how much can I drink before it's really a problem? Hey, I, I know that I'm married, but there's this person at work that's just really nice and attractive and cool and we get along really well and we're spending some time together. How far is too far? May I suggest that if you're playing that game where you walk right up the line and you're just trying to see how close to that line you can get before going over if you're playing the adult version of I'm not touching you you know in the back seat of the car with your brother and you're trying to annoy him I'm not touching you you know you touch me you know if you're playing that game with sin can I just suggest that there is no formula that keeps you from getting burned in that moment you will if you don't flee you will hurt yourself, you will hurt someone else, and something in your life and in your relationship with others will be broken. You see, the nature of the question God wants us to ask isn't how, how far can I go? The nature of the question he wants us to ask is, what do you run from? You remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house, but he was so good at what he did, Potiphar made him the head of his household. And Potiphar's wife kept coming on to Joseph over and over and over again. And every time he said no, and every time he said no. And then there came this moment when it was almost unavoidable, and she grabbed his, she grabbed his coat. And he was so interested in fleeing from temptation that when he ran, he left his coat behind. He comes, comes out of his coat, and he runs, he runs away because he didn't want to dishonor his master. Well, as believers in Christ, haven't we said, haven't we said that our faith is in Jesus Christ, that he is the master of our life, and that our desires need to match his desires, that our appetites ought to become his appetites? What, what do you run from? It's related to the next evaluation question. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, one more time. Verse 11 says that we should... Uh, Flee these things. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And then next it tells us, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. You see, that's our next question. What do you run to? You see, the easiest way for us to see a picture of who Christ is is for us to look at your life and see what is it that you run from and what is it that you run to. What are your appetites for? Are you attempting to pursue righteousness and godliness? Righteousness, it's an oversimplified definition, but it's accurate. It's doing the right thing, the right way, for the right reason. Godliness, it's the evidence of who God is in you. Hebrews chapter 11, verses, well, verse 1 says that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Your faith is not blind belief in something that makes absolutely no sense. Faith has substance. Faith should produce evidence. And the faith that God has given you to be saved, the faith that he's given you to, to, overcome, to overcome hell for all eternity, that faith that he's given you in Jesus Christ ought to, at a bare minimum, ought, it ought to help you with tomorrow. I've always found that to be interesting, that we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of every sin. The worst thing you'll ever do on the worst day of your life, the Bible says Jesus can and will and has forgiven as you place your faith 
in him. We trust him for that. But we have a hard time trusting him with the bill that's coming tomorrow. We have a hard time trusting him with the medical problem that we face today. We have a hard time trusting him with our children and the decisions they're going to face at school this year. We have a hard time trusting him with what's happening on the ball field and my kid's not getting enough this or that kid's getting too much that. We have a hard time trusting. We can trust him with our eternal salvation, but we're having a hard time trusting him to be kind to someone who's down and out. That's why I think sometimes people who are skeptical about the faith look at us and go, I don't know that I fully understand why you believe what you believe because I don't see you living what you say you believe. This was, again, such an important thing to the Apostle Paul as he taught Timothy, the preacher at Ephesus. He wrote it again in 2 Timothy 2.22. That verse uh, that we quoted just a minute ago, it begins, flee youthful passions. Let's look at it right here on the screen. It says, so you flee youthful passions, and then he says it, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We're asked to pursue righteousness together. We're asked to pursue godliness together. We're asked to pursue faith together. And so there are those moments when I'm going to fail, and there's moments when I'm going to be weak, and together as we pursue these things, that's where your strength lifts me up and helps me. And there's going to be moments when you just didn't know or you just didn't see or you're right up there on the edge of that cliff. And for whatever reason, God's let me as your friend see it. And I can say, whoa, wait, wait, stop. You take one more step, you're right there at the edge. What do you run from and what do you run to? Do you run from temptation? And are you cultivating in your own life an appetite, an appetite for righteousness? Are you cultivating in your own life an appetite for the things of God, for what it is that he can produce in us and through us? It actually, both of these ideas dovetail really nicely with, with steps four and five. With steps four and five, the idea that God made us to live in community, that my strengths are made better when my strengths are added to your strength, and, and my weaknesses are overcome when your strengths are used on my behalf, and vice versa. That idea that we should live in community, it, it's related to the idea that we should cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I cultivate that in my life so that as that fruit grows, I can serve it to you when you need it. And you can serve it to me when I need it. What do you run from and what do you run to? You see, how you answer that question matters. If you're testing how close you can get to the edge, then you're certainly not running from temptation. And if you find it to be so attractive that you can't find a way to live your life without walking the edge, right there at the edge of that cliff, then your appetites aren't being reshaped and reformed into the image of God doesn't mean you're lost necessarily but it could it doesn't mean that you don't have faith in Christ but it could maybe you've just simply said I'm going to be disobedient for a season why stop it you see that leads us to the next question look at uh, look at the next verse first Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 12 Verse 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What do you run from? What do you run to? And then what do you fight for? See, that ought to show you something about who you are. 
that ought to show you something about what it is that God's doing inside your life. I often make jokes, even from this pulpit, about the battles that are faced in football between OU and OSU. Uh, I'm not going to make a joke today, but what do you fight for? Some of you are very passionately Sooners. And if I were to say boomer right now, you would. Yeah. And if I said pistols firing, um, I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to make fun of anybody. I apologize. You see, what do you fight for? What do you fight for? What you fight for matters. What you fight for matters. And it defines a bit who you are, doesn't it? I mean, it's no, it's no secret. My family bleeds crimson and cream. Londa marched in the pride, and she, she graduated from there. And I grew up near there, and I just, I've always loved OU. And some of you are that passionate about OSU. But that's not what this verse is talking about. It's saying, fight the good fight of faith. What does it look like to fight for your faith and to fight for the faith of other people? Ephesians talks about how our faith is going to be challenged. And when our faith is challenged, can we stand in that moment that our faith is being tested? In that moment when the question is being asked, in my schedule, with my budget, more specifically with my priorities, do I trust God in this or not? What will you fight for? What do you run from? What do you run to? And what are you fighting for? Some of the fights we have on Facebook are epic. And I'm not sure they've changed anyone's mind ever. <laughs> I may not have all the, answer, or all, all, the, all the facts, but I do have all the answers, right? That's kind of the way social media works. I may not have all the facts, but I do have all the answers. And, and here we are fighting over politics and fighting over movies and fighting over economics and fighting over all of these things. What does it look like for you to fight for your faith? Or more specifically, what does it look like for you to fight for the faith of someone else? For you, put, for you to put yourself out there. For you to simply ask the question, to take someone to coffee and just simply ask the question, hey, tell me about your faith. Tell me what you believe. And then just give them an opportunity to talk. Not with the intent of saying, well, let me tell you what I know and correct them at every point where they're wrong and point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. But to just have an open and honest conversation of why do you believe what you believe? That's interesting. And as you listen to have an opportunity to say, well, let me, let me tell you what I believe. Let me tell you about my faith. Are you fighting for the faith of others? Are you fighting for your own faith? Or, are you, or do you consider your faith something cheap and something small? See, every time we run to temptation and we run away from righteousness, we've actually held our faith as something cheap and as something small. Matthew chapter 23, excuse me, Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, says something really interesting about those of us who have faith. It says this, it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, if, if you're someone who is skeptical about church, maybe the reason why is because you know someone who claimed faith in Christ and today they reject all of that. Matthew 24, 13 says they never had it in the first place. It's the one who endures to the end. It's the one who fought for their faith, who valued their faith enough to put their life on the line or their reputation on the line or their finances on the line or their time on the line or their convenience on the line. They realized that my faith is more valuable to me than anything else. And as a result, this is the thing I will fight for. This is the, thi this is the place where I draw the line and this is where I will stand. 
And having done all, Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 say, I will stand. No matter what's thrown at me, no matter what comes my way, no matter how many times I feel like a hypocrite because I failed again, I'm going to continue to get back up and I'm going to fight for this faith because my God is God and I will serve him. I will trust him. I will rely on him. I will give myself completely to him. Fears, failures, faults, everything, I give it all to him. All of my victories, all of my successes, all of those things, I'm going to fight right here on this spot. And, and when my life is over, I'll be feeble and I'll be faint, but I will not fail because I will fight for this faith in this moment right here. Why? Because my God is God and he saved me and I trust in him because the faith that's in me is not my own. It's a faith that was given to me by God. And now this work that he's doing in me, Philippians chapter 1 says he started it, but he's not just going to start it. He's going to complete it. Paul, he's, he's writing again. He says, and I'm confident, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began this work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until I get to meet him face to face. What do you run from? What do you run to, and, and what are you fighting for? See, the answers to those questions reveal where you are in your walk with Christ. Maybe you're immature in your faith, and you just need to take another step that grows you up. Maybe you're mature in your faith, and your next step is to fight for the faith of someone else and to help them grow in their faith, to help them discover an appetite for righteousness, and to help them understand that that, that line that they're so close to that, that edge that they're so close to, it's just not worth it. Maybe that's, maybe that's your role. Maybe that's your responsibility. Maybe that's the gift that God's given to you. But there's a fourth question that we ought to ask. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 at the very end, beginning in verse 17. And this one is where for us as Americans, I think Paul's meddling just a little bit. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. I'm just going to stop right there. It's just almost like Paul's reading our mail for just a minute. I mean, you've, you've all met people who weren't wealthy at one point in their lives, and now they're wealthy today, and all of a sudden, there's a kind of, not confidence, but there's a kind of arrogance to them because somehow they didn't have money, but now they do, and so now they're haughty. They're just a little bit arrogant, and, and maybe that's you. Uh, may, maybe that's some of us. Maybe, maybe we as Americans, certainly internationally, don't we have that reputation around the world as being kind of haughty, arrogant Americans? Don't we sort of have that reputation? It's, it's so based on what we have and what we think we know. And here's Paul saying, be careful, caution people that if you have money, he's not saying money's bad, but he is saying if you have it, don't be haughty. As for the rich in this present age, verse 17, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Listen to verse 18. I think this is interesting. They are to do good works. And then here's a command from God. They are to be rich in doing good. So this is that space in Scripture where you can point to it and you can say, See, look, God's commanded me to be rich. But he's not talking about your finances when he says it's time to be rich. He's not saying name it and claim it. He's not saying that, that, that you're going to have, you know, if you've got one yacht, now you can claim it and you get two yachts. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is I want you to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What do you run from? 
What do you run to? What do you fight for? And then what do you value the most? What do you value the most? Are you using your money to keep score and just prove how much better you are than everybody around you? Are you using, are you using the money that you have as a way to secure your future? Because I can assure you that future is not certain with money. I can assure you that at some point, the economy is going to fail. At some point, your bank account is going to drop to zero. At some point, you're going to lay on a hospital bed and, and really not care anymore about how much is in your bank account. Are you going to be rich in good works because you value people more than you value things? I've heard it said that some people are so poor, all they have is money. Have you ever met anybody like that? Have you ever been anybody like that? As you evaluate your own life, what do you run from? What do you run to? What do you fight for? And what do you value the most? There's one last passage of scripture I want us to take a look at. And I think it's interesting what it says. It's Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin in verse 4. And listen to what God has done for you and what he's done for us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated uh, and, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. On this walk, and God's created you to be rich in good works that he's prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Tomorrow, you have a schedule. Today, you have a budget. The question is, have you set your priorities the way God would set your priorities? Are you flirting with temptation? Are you coming right up to the edge? Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you fighting for your faith? To hold on because when you hold on, it gives you a front row seat to all the promises of God. Are you fighting for your faith and are you valuing what he values the most? You see, those are the questions we ought to use to evaluate our lives and our walk with Christ. And if the answer to any of those things is something apart from the way God would answer that question, then as a believer, you have a responsibility to adjust your life to this word to make moves towards him, to let your next breath be a breath of surrender and your next step a step of obedience. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to pray together, and after we pray, we're going to sing. And this is just an opportunity, I think, today for us as believers to ask ourselves honestly those questions. And if at any space the answers don't line up with Scripture or what we know God has called us to do, well, it's an opportunity for us to repent. For us, by his grace, to say, Father, forgive me, I'm sorry, I've missed the mark, help me. The Bible tells us that he will, if we ask. The Bible tells us he does when we trust. And so during this invitation time, maybe you need to do it right there at your seat, maybe you need to kneel down, maybe you need to come to this altar, maybe you need to leave and go talk to someone else because there's a relationship that's broken that you need to make right. But whatever the case, take this moment to, to ask those four questions, not just of yourself, 
but from your heavenly Father, God, for me, how would you answer these questions? Am I running to, running from, fighting for, valuing most? Am I doing those? Use this as an opportunity to ask those questions. And if you're not a believer yet, your first step is to ask Christ for forgiveness. And you want to know more about that? We can tell you there'll be people down front who would love to talk to you.